Welcome back to another episode of 10,000 Roads Financial Independence. Today's guest, Nico Salgado, uh, has been transitioning from a, being a Spanish teacher to apartment syndication. And so today we're going to walk through his journey of uh, self-discovery, um, as well as um, career switching. Um, and uh, he's going to share with us a few of the marketing tips uh, in terms of uh, lead gen and et cetera. Um, welcome so much. Thank you so much for uh, joining our show today, Nico. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited. Yeah, awesome. Um, and uh, so, Nico, uh, we kind of started our show with uh, some typical questions about, you know, the transition, et cetera. But let's kind of dive into this right away. Um, why did you decide to switching from being a Spanish teacher to uh, get into apartment syndication? How, how do you kind of get into that? Yeah, so there are a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, the main reason was, you know, once I got a grasp of how much I was going to be earning for the rest of my career and how much I was going to be making upon retiring, I just wasn't happy. And it's like a lot of people, you know, and, and then there are different routes that we can take. We can begin picking up new jobs and adding income in other ways. But I was under the impression that, and I still am, that the more work I put in and the more time I put in, that's the less time that I'm going to be able to share with my family and friends and my loved ones and do things that I want to do. So instead of getting more jobs and, and creating more transactional income, I found the route of real estate investing. And I found the route through what many other people do is read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I understood from then on, you know, this is a few years ago that I really need to either buy businesses that earn income for me or buy real estate that earns income for me. Typically, like what you talk about, you know, earn income while you sleep. And that is really what, you know, drove me to, to then shift gears and focus solely on multifamily real estate investing. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. And how did you find out Rich Dad, Poor Dad? So we're trying to like unpack a little, a little bit more, like, because people who are listening to our podcast obviously may have already read that book. Um, but how did that kind of discovery happen? It's funny, you know, I mean, that it, that's just such a it's such a basic book when you think about it. But it's such also a an eye opening book. And that book came to me a few times over the past 10 years and I never picked it up and never read it. You know, some friends of mine that are into business and into real estate and into investing have read it and gave it to me and I just never read it. So I finally picked it up and I picked it up in 2018 to read it after I got hit with a giant tax uh, income tax, you know, a, a property tax increase rather on our house. We were paying, so I live in New York, right? And, and we have very high, uh, you know, um, taxes, you know, property taxes that I was paying eight and a half thousand. Wow. And then it went up to 12 and a half thousand yeah. overnight. And, and I was like, I, I had to come up with a difference and then pay a lot more money. Uh, and it was just, you know, at that moment I said, something's got to change. You know, this is just not right. I really need to figure out a better way to do things. So picked up the book, got involved in, in, uh, listening to basically all of Robert Kiyosaki's stuff. And from there, I jumped into like bigger pockets and I started looking at, you know, duplexes and and uh, and even condos to buy here in New York where I'm living. And it's just nothing was really penciling out with great returns. And yeah, I could have been building some equity in deals and over time, you know, banked on appreciation of deals here in New York. But it just that wasn't the play that was really going to be safe enough for me or even scalable. So I ended up not going that route. 
Mm, gotcha, gotcha. And then so um, buying property in New York, New Jersey, New York, um, you will need to have a lot of down payment um, per se. So um, how did you kind of accumulate it? Like walk us, because being a Spanish teacher, I can't imagine that you make a huge amount of money. <laughs> not, not to say that, but I, I just assume that that's the case. Um, so tell us a little bit more about like maybe the sacrifices that you go through, or how do you accumulate the 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 kind of the wealth to start building uh, your portfolio there? Yeah. Yeah, you know, Elisa, thank you for asking that. It's great. It's such a such a key question. You know, people think, well, you're investing in real estate and you must be rich. No, not necessarily. But I. Begun my, I began my my process thinking that I'm going to just be using my money. And I had, you know, at that time in 2018, I had some money from actually a lawsuit that our, you know, we, our house was destroyed in Hurricane Sandy and we got it rebuilt, but they, they there was fraud. There was some uh, fraud that was done by the insurance company to try not paying us. And we were involved with the lawsuit. So we had some money and I had a chunk of money ready to deploy in uh, buying you know, real estate. So what I was going to do is I was going to buy a duplex. Now here in New York, any duplex is a minimum of six, $700,000 uh, yeah. where I live uh, and, and even upwards. So you're looking at a high hefty down payment of a couple hundred thousand or more. And I wasn't able to do that alone. I got my brother involved and I got a friend involved and we were looking at deals together. But then I said, what are we doing? We're looking to get maybe $250 in cash flow every month from putting in 200 $300,000. I don't think that that's what is really something that we want to do. And then to get the next property, I mean, that's going to take us 10 years. So that's yeah. when we decided not to do that. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and so kind of going back a little bit more, it sounds like you used basically connection and potentially partners um, to maybe get into the first venture. Now, fast forward a little bit more, um, going from, um, so how did you come about your first syndication? Yeah, wow. So we just fast forwarded a lot. So I, I joined the Jake and Gino community. Um, I joined them in November of 2019 after talking with people in bigger pockets and figuring out how I can, you know, scale and get into multifamily like everybody else. I didn't think it was possible. And I found a way through a mentorship program. And there are, there are a variety of good mentorship programs out there. And I interviewed with some but I ultimately fell on the Jake and Gino community, their story and their process resonated with me most. And I really, you know, really built some solid partnerships with them and their team and people in the network. So come, you know, spring of 2020, when, when the world shut down, I was already, had already, you know, focused my targets on the central Florida area. Because, you know, through the education that Jake and Gina provided me, I, I discovered how to vet a market, how to, you know, vet deals. And, and I set my sights on Tampa and Central Florida. And I began networking with people down there. And I, and I, and I quickly built a, a pretty good network of people that can help me out, meaning brokers and property managers and boots on the ground partners down in Central Florida. Mm -hmm. Now, people in the Jake and Gino community had, you know, had holdings already in and properties in Indiana, Texas and other parts. Mm -hmm. And this one group of people that had those properties said, we want to now break into the Tampa market. Who are we going to reach out to? Who is already established in the Tampa market? And that was me. <laughs> so at least I didn't have any properties at that point, but they came down and, and well, you know, I'm, I'm in New York and they're actually in New York too. And, and we joined forces and we started looking at deals together. I introduced them to the people that I knew and we quickly began offering on deals. 
Now we didn't land anything, but they, you know, they had their, their sights set on other markets while I was focusing on Tampa, they focused on markets like Columbus and they found a really, really great deal in, in Columbus, Ohio, and invited me onto the deal with them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so it's again, through partnerships and uh, partnerships and that, and then also using your own kind of special power. So we're chronically kind of going back a little bit more, but I'd like to ask you the question about how did you jumping from like listening to free resources such as Googling, bigger pockets, podcasts, and et cetera, and decided to kind of taking the leap to an education program, which you potentially investing in yourself quite a bit of um, How did you kind of go through that process and decided, you know, um, the shift, which is paying for your education? Yeah, so it was initially fear, fear of failure. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was the summer of 2019 when I was when I was looking at, you know, those duplexes and I figured it wasn't right for me after talking to people on bigger pockets. And then I said, you know what, let's try multifamily. And I found what I thought was like this top secret, great deal here where I live in, in Long Beach, New York. It was a, a seven, seven townhomes right on the beach that basically needed to be knocked down. And I went through the process of talking to, talking to contractors, talking to the building department, talking to people that I could possibly invest with to try to do, a, <laughs> I laugh now because it's so ridiculous to do a development project here in, in Long Beach, New York. Now, this was a $25 million project that I had zero experience with and, and couldn't do it on my own, but I was afraid. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna keep this a secret and not tell anybody about this great deal that I found. And I, you know, it wasn't even up for sale. I actually called all the owners of the, the buildings and I said, would you sell, would you sell, would you sell? And one by one, they said, yes. So yeah. that's how I got it done. And I said, I'm gonna keep this a secret, but I need a mentor, I need help. Yeah. That's when I, I started interviewing people to mentor me and fell upon the Jake and Gino community. Now, once I met up, I, you know, I, I, I joined them in like on a Wednesday in November. And by Friday, I was on a plane down to one of their boot camps. Yeah. And Saturday, when I met everybody, I started telling what I was working on. And they were all like, no, are you crazy? Why would you do that? And that was what completely shifted my mind into thinking and focusing now on multifamily as opposed to development, which I might do in the future, but I just was not ready for that. Yeah, it's the right time, the right right stage of doing stuff. That's 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 pretty amazing. Um, so what you just said over there is very interesting. Um, because a lot of people uh, that I know, uh, including investors, our listeners, will kind of do a lot of education. And then that, that, that one step is really difficult for them to kind of start. Uh, but you kind of did the opposite over here where you're like, hey, I'm going to go start doing all these activities and then uh, kind of get into where, where probably there is a, you know, certain things that you 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 needed at the external help, but then that's where kind of Jake and Gino's group kind of falls falls upon that. Um, how did you have that mindset? Like, is there like an early child influence to that? And how did you come up with that mindset? Um, if you kind of think about it, um, essentially, I'm trying to unpack for our listeners. Like, how do you kind of switch your mental and then train yourself to take actions? So I've, I've always been interested in money <laughs> yeah. and in making money. I'm going to tell you a little story, but 
you know, I used to take money and roll it up and, 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 you know, keep it very safe. And I, and I, at a young age, I was able to save quite a bit of money and, and my family always thought, oh, he's going to be a businessman. Nobody really had an idea of what that meant because nobody in my family was a businessman necessarily, but they, they thought that I had that mindset and mentality and my father. So we, my father's from Spain, born and raised in Spain. Uh-huh. And all, you know, every summer we would travel there. So there was an exchange rate, right? So, I, yeah. <laughs> and I figured out at one point that, you know, it, if he were to give me some money, let's say in, in Spanish currency at that time, it, it was the peseta, if he were to give me some money in that, and then I would not use it, but give it back to him and get, you know, dollars back, I could get a better exchange rate. He would always, for some reason, give me like a few dollars more than what it actually, what the exchange rate actually was. And I was going back and forth. I would never spend any money. Yeah. I just, you know, you, you literally <laughs> just try to get a better exchange rate, whether changing from the dollar to the peseta or from the peseta to the dollar. And, and he thought it was just hilarious. And he would just kind of entertain me and, and continue to do that. That was from when I was like six, seven, eight years old, I was doing things like that. Wow. So I, I always had the mindset of, you know, how to, how to create wealth or how to gain wealth or, or get a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. And, mm-hmm. and that took me also into, you know, I always had a, a lemonade stand growing up. I, I'm talking like under 10. I was selling tomatoes on the corner, things that, you know, taking things from my mom's garden. She's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Nico? And I'm on the corner selling like a a bag of tomatoes for a dollar, you know, and just little things. And I remember guys, you know, up on the block, just throw, literally throwing to me the money saying, go put it on my doorstep. And I would run down the block and drop it on the doorstep. So little things to make money here and there. And then, um, you know, also I noticed my family in Spain. So my family in Spain, they have a lot of little properties and Mm -hmm. they're not really worth anything. Right you can't really sell them for much. And actually we recently got offered like a few hundred dollars for like an acre of land. And it's where I, I told my family, they're crazy. We're not going to sell it, but what it's, what the value is on those little fincas or little lots of land, you, you have a farmer go graze on them. So they, the farmer says, can I pay you X amount of money? We'll graze the land, you know, we'll take care of it. And my cows will eat off it. So that's where also where I began to see that you can earn income from land yeah yeah because uh they're they manage to graze you don't actually do anything yeah and then that's kind of in us there's there i have friends who owns lands on island obviously for a lot more in the would be islands and and that's what kind of they do as well um that's very interesting um and and then so you kind of fast forward you got you um you you uh how did you land it up to be a spanish teacher so after co- so I went to college originally for marketing management and a minor in economics and I thought I was going to be what my family was calling me as a businessman you know my father was a, a basically a waiter and then a major d his whole life and that was sustainable you know through his time but and he kept saying you're going to be a businessman and I didn't really have guidance or any knowledge of what that was so when I got out of college I started working with a friend of uh, my friend's father who owned a meat selling company where it was like a door-to-door sales thing and and I thought that that was business and I immediately said I didn't like it. So I ended up going right back to school. Well, first I spent a few months in Hawaii and a few months in Spain. Yeah. Uh, and then I and then I said, you know what, I'm going to be a Spanish teacher. I love traveling. I love seeing the world and I love the Spanish culture. So let me teach that to people. So I went right back to school to be a Spanish teacher. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's that's kind of where you have come upon it. And how did you end it up in New York? Always so born and raised in New York, you know, I have dual citizenship. I'm a Spanish citizen and an American citizen, but literally basically spent the, my entire life in New yeah. York. Got it. Got it. And then so going outside the state. So now I'm jumping chronically quite a bit over here. 
Um, but you were talking about so then we had that whole transition um, and etc. Getting into uh, you know investment world. So why did you pick Tampa? Why did you pick Tampa, Florida, as、uh, what you want to focus on? It's a great question. There's so many good markets, especially once you become more proficient in understanding and learning markets. There are a lot of really good markets in the United States, and it also depends on what you're going for. Some are more, you know, based for cash flow. Some are better for equity and and appreciation. Now, I was talking to one of the coaches, Gino, one of the actually the owner of the company. Yeah. And he says, you know, we were just talking about markets, and he says, have you picked a market yet? I said no, but I found I have a list of markets to look at. Yeah. And Tampa was on the list, and he said, "Well, are you where, where are you traveling to next?" And it just so happened that I was going down to Tampa in December of that year. So he said, "All right, that's it. That's your market." So it was really as simple as that. It、yeah. it didn't come down to me getting overwhelmed by thinking I need to be, it needs to be the perfect market. No, it's some place that I would travel to, and it's a good market. That's basically、gotcha. the reason. Gotcha. But you had other markets as well on your list. Um, and then, how like、uh, did you? What's some of these criteria that you try to kind of select and coming up with your markets? Yeah. So as as let let's take metrics out of it for now. So first of all, some place that I would like to travel to is you know is important.、Yeah. I feel proximity is also important. I mean, I'm in New York and it's like a two and a half hour flight. Yeah.、Uh, obviously, there are closer markets that also have nice weather. But then I have family in Tampa and friends in Tampa, so that's a, another reason. So yeah. These are all、uh, really good reasons because、uh, they kind of ties into later on the the familiarity with that particular market. Yeah. Right. Right. You don't. I mean, for for when I talk to people, I mean, you can basically pick any place in the United States and figure out a way to invest there. But it, it's got to make sense for you too. Where some place where you would like to go, where your family would like to go, where you would like to take your your children. You know, that in my mind is important to me. And and then on the side of metrics, you know, you want to look for a place. With population growth, with job growth, with job diversity, someplace like Tampa that's not as impacted as other markets by the pandemic,、mm-hmm. because they're not solely dependent on one industry like the travel industry, where you're seeing that those issues in Orlando now, those are, are going to bounce back. But it's just a little bit more volatile, and and sometimes when you're talking to investors or trying to get people to invest with you、mm-hmm. in a more volatile market like Orlando, it's just it's my that conversation is a little bit more challenging. Whenever I talk to people about Tampa, they're like, "Oh, excellent! Show me the metrics. Show me the population growth. Show me all this and that." And I show it to them, and they they really like the fact that the job diversity is keeping that is keeping that market very strong throughout this entire pandemic. Gotcha, gotcha. Now let's talk about the property in Ohio. Ohio is not super close to Tampa. Uh, and uh, so, how like I know that you got into that due to partnerships.、Um, what what's the train of thought at that point when you approached to help with that particular property, and、uh, and then、um, you know the, after you guys kind of went through the whole process, acquire it, and then now owning the property,、um, does that kind of match up with your initial? Kind of expectation, like you know, it is quite a bit shift from、uh, Florida to Ohio.、Um, so, how do you kind of get over that、um, in terms of、uh, your target markets? Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was also very surprising because I'd been focusing specifically on the Tampa market. All of my information that I'm pushing out online is Tampa, 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 and then all of a sudden I present my investors with a deal in Columbus. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, "Wait, what happened?"、Um, 
But right, you know, it's funny, you think of, of markets, you think Tampa as a sexy market, Columbus is not a sexy market. Yeah. Uh, but there is a lot of growth going on there too. They also have a lot of, uh, you know, job diversity, they have really good, you know, Ohio State is excellent. There's a lot of good things going on in Columbus. Also, in, you know, in other parts of Ohio, people are fleeing, you know, the population is declining. But if you look at certain areas of Columbus, population is increasing. And that's very important for mm -hmm. us. Um, so, you know, when that, when the team approached me to ask me to be on their team, this was actually in August, at the end of August, or in the beginning of August, rather of 2020, I told them I couldn't do it. And I told them I couldn't do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was dedicated to this Tampa market. <laughs> but I, I, I eventually branched out, I was dedicated to Tampa, which I still am. Number two, I didn't have enough money to invest. I'm currently going through a divorce, which is a whole other story, right? Yeah. So I had this limiting belief that, well, I can't get involved in anything. And what can I offer them? I don't, number three, it was like, I don't think I can offer them anything. But they, from the onset said, you know, we need somebody to take on the marketing and investor relations role. Mm -hmm. So they, they pursued the deal. I said, look, I need to back off for a little while. I don't want to do anything. So they pursued the deal. They ended up closing the deal in two weeks cash with a, a, a cash buyer that they had. And then they turned it into a syndication where they needed to raise a certain amount of money. It was three, a $3.5 million raise. And there were, they had seven people on the general partnership side. And then it was like in September, they said, Hey, Nico, we're going to do this as a syndication. Do you, are you sure you don't want in? We could really use you. And I said, you know what guys, let's do it. Let's crush these limiting beliefs. Let's make something happen. And they gave me a piece of the general partnership and I took on the role of marketing and investor relations. So I created you know, the, the, the pitch deck, I created the, um, the, the webinar, I ran the webinar, I spoke to all the investors, you know, it, it was kind of like a funnel where they funnel the investors to me to then get into onto our portal and create, you know, I, I created the, uh, the whole portal experience and everything for them. Right. And now I take on the role, I'm the most junior partner on the team, which is excellent because I get to learn from everybody. And now I'm taking on the role of basically just communicating with investors on a regular basis, putting out the newsletters on a regular basis mm -hmm. and sitting in on all the, uh, the calls for the property management team and the asset managers. So right. I'm getting to learn a lot of different aspects of it. You know, I did miss the majority of the due diligence period, which was an, an important period mm -hmm. uh, that I got to do a later on in a different project, but I missed that on this project and, um, yeah. and just focusing on the marketing and, and investor relations. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it kind of comes to this question. What is your special power from what I kind of hear you say, I would say, uh, what is your superpower? Right. Um, it sounds like marketing is your strength in this realm of investing. Um, so kind of tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, like the, the marketing. I know that you have maybe a few tips to kind of share um, with maybe lead generation. How do you actually set up the whole, whole uh, marketing while, you know, you're still trying to looking for a deal? Um, you know, some some of the challenges, because a lot of our listeners thinking about, well, we don't have a deal or, well, we don't have a track record. How do we actually start doing marketing? Again, back to what you said, the limited beliefs, um, you know, do you have a few pieces, tips to help people kind of get through that limited beliefs and a few kind of practical ones to help them kind of get started? Yeah. So at least I'm actually working on some create. So I created some steps like a, I, right now, I just kind of wrote up this little, um, a basic plan of getting from point A to point B with setting up your business and, and creating some sort of brand for yourself, getting awareness uh, from investors and 
and creating some sort of marketing funnel to where you can, you, you know, have a drip campaign, a customer journey and have people see you and be, and, and you be visible out on social media <clears throat> to the point where people can at least understand what you're doing and get a general idea of what you're doing and possibly want to invest with you. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's going to be a lot more after those initial steps of what, what you need to do or people out there would need to do to then convert those leads into actual people that invest. Yeah. And, and we're talking specifically on the getting investors to invest in your deal side. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other thing that you were talking about, which is lead generation. And I'm still working on that. So we have off market campaign. Well, what, you always have to be doing a few things as a real right. estate investor, right? You need to be yeah. cultivating leads through, through however, whatever means that may be, we do, we, use brokers, we get pocket listings and we do off market campaigns. Mm -hmm. And there's a few ways to do that, which I can talk about. Yeah. And then on the other side, you always have to be building an investor base if you're going to be syndicating deals. And it's my belief that eventually, you know, even if people are, are dedicated to buy and hold and, and joint venturing projects, it, most people are going to be eventually jumping into a syndication at some point, if you want to continue to scale and continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So to, to take a step back now, I have like a, a little plan of what I set people up with when they first talk to me and, and meet with me, if they're looking to get started as an active real estate investor, mm -hmm. I can help them get from point A, meaning having no brand at all, to point B, to having a, a, a website, a logo, a, you know, a, a powerful social media marketing campaign mm -hmm. to get their name out there and to get their brand recognized and to get their, just their face out so that people can understand what they're doing and then possibly want to invest with them in the future. Yeah. And then on the, the lead generation side, when we're looking at acquisitions, I just tell people you have to consistently be talking to brokers mm -hmm. because brokers for us has been the number one source of getting leads and, yeah. and you want to cultivate those relationships pretty well. So, mm -hmm. you know, what, one of the things I, I also run a meetup and one of the things, the biggest challenges that I get with people is that well, I don't know how to talk to a broker or I don't know how to get a broker to give me the good deals or the pocket listings, as we call them, the deals before they kind of get to go to market. And I said that that takes time. You know, I tell them that it takes time, number one, and you have to con you have to show them that you can you actually mean business, that you're submitting offers and valid offers and mm -hmm. that you can close. You know, you just have to continually be in front of these brokers. So I set up little alerts where every other week I'm, I'm calling the brokers back. <laughs> I, I'm basically talking to brokers, you know, every single day of the week, but I have like a little schedule set up where it's like, I get a ping every morning at 9am. I need to call this broker and then a ping at 9am the next day to call this broker. So yeah, constantly talking to brokers, you know, and, and we also do off market campaigns. So we're currently working with, um, with texting. We do off market texting, which has been about a 1% uh, response rate that we're getting on that. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at cold calling now as well, which is the same company that's helping us do that. And then there's, there's, um, you know, there's mailers that we're, we haven't done mailers yet only because the cost is a little, is a little bit higher. Right. Right. So then, there's, I mean, there are a lot of routes and I'm not an expert on that end of it, but you know, it's just something that you, you really got to continue to cultivate and continue to cultivate those relationships. So I've actually provided, you know, I get really good leads now from uh, actually property managers as well. So they're another route to go, you know, if you cultivate relationships with them, yeah. they're a, a good way to get some leads. And this one pr uh, property manager in particular, I provided him, you know, just in talking, he said he, he, he was just looking for a gift for his parents. And I said, well, I'm a woodworker, mm -hmm. uh, aside from all the other things that I do, I'm a woodworker and I can make yeah. your parents a sign or whatever. So he said, perfect. I made them a sign. I, I, I mailed it to him and every, every, 
week or so now, he's sending me all these deals that he gets. So it's like just another way to get, you know, leads. Kind of bring, bring value. Yes. So um, thinking about like a, what other hobbies do you do? What value do you actually bring to other people? Uh, and then this could be a lead generation as well. Um, that's, that's awesome. So also it sounds like you're very much of a systemizer. Is that kind of correct? Well, it seems like not as not as much as I would like to be. We're trying to work on our systems now, and and the the whole purpose of systems is right, really to be organized, right, and to make things run smoother, and then to eventually delegate those jobs to somebody else and elevate ourselves to where we can really be overseeing a larger company. And that's the, that's the broader vision of where I want to go. Yeah. And people do say that I'm the visionary. I tend to think a little bit farther of of where we are today and a little bit bigger of where we are today. And then I typically need to be grounded by my my partners because they're like, hold on first, let's get this deal done <laughs> before right. we think about creating this giant uh, machine that's really gonna be pumping out yeah. deals and things like that. But yeah, I, I think that um, I, I think that the systems are really necessary uh, to scale and to also just be able to delegate and then elevate yourself. Got it, got it. So how much time do you dedicate to like creating system? Because a, a lot of folks that I kind of talk to, they have, um, I don't know, like they probably have like half billion dollar holding and some of them are kind of just try to catch up with all the system. And so at that point, you're kind of like working in your business more and then having to carve out the specific times to systemize. So um, for a listener over here, you know, like how do you kind of like manage that um, in terms of, because you still um, like, you know, like when you, you have so much hobbies, you're doing syndication, and you, I think you still do with some Spanish teaching and this and that. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Um, how do you like have basically what is your routine of carving time out to systemize the, the business and continue running the business? Yeah. Yeah. So luckily at this stage, you know, I've been teaching for 17 plus years now. And, uh, you know, I really, really am good at teaching. (laughs) Not that I'm like the best teacher or whatever, but I'm really good at knowing exactly what I need to do and getting it done fast. So like when I'm at work, I have plenty of time during the school day to be able to, you know, do this, do focus on real estate and and connect with people. I spend a lot of time connecting with people during the day, uh, educating some people, making new relationships, and then also obviously underwriting deals and, and, um, and submitting offers. So we, we try to underwrite a deal a day, me and my current team and submit offers a deal, you know, at least a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the real, you know, I also work obviously at night and I get up at, at five o'clock in the morning, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, every single day. So, I mean, that obviously helps too. Mm-hmm. And weekends, you know, there's no, there's really no days off. And it's not that I'm, I'm like one of those people that, that, you know, oh, you gotta, you gotta work as hard as possible and burn and burn yourself out. I'm not into that either. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying all the work that I'm doing, yeah. but I'm, I'm literally working mornings, days, nights, and weekends on real estate because I enjoy it. And, and there's so much to do that even at that stage, and even if I was doing it full-time without my teaching position, I would still need help. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I, I, we're currently focusing on, you know, separating and designating certain jobs and tasks to the two other people that I'm working with. Yeah. where I'm, I'm back to handling the marketing side of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I handle a little bit of my investor relations and broker relations and they handle theirs. Now, now I have one person that's doing basically all the underwriting for us now. Mm-hmm. He'll do the initial underwriting for us. If we like a deal, I will then work on it with him. 
yeah. create an offer. My other partner is actually writing up the offers and negotiating with the brokers. And he is also on the back end working on our Asana because that's what we're using for our project management, right. our CRM. He's working on that. So just mm -hmm. by slowly separating jobs into what we do best and what we feel would, would be more, I guess, effective, mm -hmm. that's been very helpful because even though let, I could handle it all right now by myself, yeah. At some point, I'm not going to be able to handle it all. Yeah, that's really smart. That's really smart. Because I think at some point, you know, we're, we have challenges of running with our legs cut off pretty much. Because you're running too fast, you're like, ah, like everything start falling <laughs> apart. Um, but, you know, just kind of focus on what needs to be done. Um, definitely can use some organization as well there. Um, that's that's awesome. Wow, there's a, so much impact today um, on this, uh, Nico. Um, and... Uh, I, I think it, there's so much like uh, things to talk about, like with systemization and marketing and all that sort of stuff and the funnel. Thank you so much for giving us all this tip. Now, last question that we have over here, um, well, actually last couple, um, is uh, where do you see yourself kind of go from here in next three years, five years, giving your vision person, uh, would love to kind of know your bigger pictures there. So my goal, my five-year plan is to retire from teaching. Not that I, so I'm not one of those people who's, who dreads going to work. I enjoy it. But like I said, it's not going to pay my bills. So I'm looking to retire from teaching, focus more on, you know, building this real estate company. Mm -hmm. I want to build it to as big as possible. I want to show my daughter because I have a daughter, my only little, my only little one. I want to show her what's possible in this world. And I want to take her around the world and see everything that I saw and more. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then you mentioned you have a daughter. So what are you doing currently to instill the entrepreneurship spirits in her? So I, I do a couple of things. One of the main things that I talk to her about with is failing. Now, I, I you know, a lot of times, so I'm a school teacher and I can say this, we are teaching these kids that failure is a bad thing. But if we can teach the kids otherwise to show them that failure is just a stepping stone or failure is, some, is, a, is an excellent tool for learning and growing and getting better, we can build a more confident and risk-taking with, obviously, with limits, risk-taking society. So what I do in my Spanish class now, and, and I didn't do this my first 15 years of teaching, what I do is I say, get it wrong. <laughs> when people are trying to speak a, speak a new language, and you you probably know this, this as well. Yeah, you know, if you don't speak it, you're never going to get better at it, you're never going to really learn it. So what, what I do is I have them get it wrong. And I don't focus on what they got wrong. I just let them get things wrong. And then what by doing it on their own, they develop the processes to see what they're doing wrong and fix themselves. And I think it's so much more powerful than somebody saying you did this wrong. So with my daughter, for example, we were cooking the other day and, and, you know, I made my little pizza dough and she made her pizza dough. Right. And we do this often. So mm -hmm. I, I don't really sit there and critique, Oh, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're, you're pounding it down too much. You're rolling it out too much. It's too thin. But, but I let her see her mistakes because she sees my pizza when it's done. She sees her pizza when hers is done. And yeah. she's the one who picks out, Oh, I could have done this differently. And I think that's so empowering, so much better, so much of a better way for people to really, I guess, grow and learn. Love that. I do, I, yeah, I do that with her. And then I also, you know, I, I make sure that she understands the benefits of routine. We have what I call la rutina diaria, which is every single day we wake up, we do the same thing. 
we make our bed. We drink, as soon as we, we wake up, we make our bed. We drink water. We go to the bathroom. We brush our teeth. We jump up and down 20 times saying, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and smiling to have a good day. And then we begin writing. So we, we write down our, 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 our affirmations. Now she's still young. So we start with coloring and then a little bit of writing, but she's writing things down. Like I am brave. I am hardworking and things that are not like, you know, oh, I'm a beautiful person, but I really try to instill in her being, having hard work. Uh, as a as a as a good foundation and having the mindset of failure is okay, you know you don't have to be perfect. We're just yeah. going to continue to move forward. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, this kind of wraps up our today's show with Nico Asagado, um, and um, definitely I love um, oftentimes when we have interviews with people who has I don't know a billion dollar portfolio and then this and that. You see where they are today. And then you, um, and then it's great to have guests coming in like Nico, um, and in the in the process of creating a fantastic company's fantastic system and marketing plan for himself, but just to kind of learn from that, um, you know, you kind of want to learn people. Um, who are like a 10 step ahead you instead of a hundred steps ahead you because um, then it may, may be discouraging. And then Nico, so you mentioned there's so much great resources that you are ready to share with people over here. Um, you mentioned that the marketing programs that you're creating, this and that, like how does our viewer find more information about you and contact you? Yeah, yeah you can go to my website. That's the best uh, place to find everything. So smallaxcommunities.com. So what I have is I, I created a company called the Small Axe Community. And it's really based on the premise that we all have tools to use. We don't all have to be rich. We don't all have to have the financial means, uh, but we all have something that we can use to create a better existence for ourselves. And that's really what the Small Axe is all about. So if you go to my website, you can uh, sign up for our newsletter. You can sign up for a, what I have is a free a freebie, which is a, a passive investor cheat sheet to show you how to invest passively in deals. I also have a Tampa ebook that I give away to learn about the Tampa market. And I also have, um, you know, my podcast and a meetup group. So you can find all that stuff on my website and you can even book a call with me and I can get you pretty far along in your active or passive real estate investing career, whichever you want to do. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Nico. Um, and uh, this is wraps up our this episode for 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. Um, I think the biggest lesson we learned from here is taking actions. Um, so, you know, go to our show notes and check out Nico's resources to kind of help you get to the next stage. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Lisa.